the concept of my brain. My brain's creating this false reality where I can't, I can't do it. Like you know, I can't do whatever creative thing. It's that's some block. Like no, you're. It's not even. You don't even really have a block. It, there's, it's just you're imagining a scenario where you're you're blocked up, and that blocks you. It's like a meta meta block, right? Anyway. No, that's very good. Delicious water. Stuff that I need to be reminded of daily. It's like, you can only remember, I can have only so many thoughts in your head at once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Essentially we're, only one thought at once. We're, we're, we're super limited, super distractible, and we tend to forget. So it's good to have things like the War of Art that you can read as like a meditation. Right. right? Like, yeah. Okay, so I'm... I mean, I'll just open it up to a yeah, random page. Let's read a random page. Let's see here. There we go. I'm just going to grab as short as page possible. The professional dick dedicates himself to mastering technique. The professional respects his craft. He does not consider himself superior to it. He recognizes the contributions of those who have gone before him. He apprentices himself to them. All right. That's what a, that's what a professional does. I'm going to apprentice myself to to those who were before me and Always who were greater. Nice. Always remain a student. Yep. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Nashville Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and today we have Nathan Sletner here. What's up? How's it going? Pretty good, man. Well, it's well, good to see you again. I know. In the flesh. Yeah. Not through digital world. That's how we're like seeing everyone right now. That's true. So you're from California, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little town called Redding. Way up north, about an hour and a half south of the Oregon border. It's known for uh, a mega church and meth. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically all it's got going on up there. The Ewoks live up there, don't they? Mm, yeah, they're right around that area. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, sometimes I'll go out in the woods at night and I'll hear them chanting. Luca, Luca, Lula. You know what? Do you hate Do you hate the Ewoks? I love the Ewoks. Yeah, you know what? Dude, I, I would love to have an Ewok. I'm on the. I'm on the. I'm neutral toward the Ewoks. Yeah. I, they they neither annoy me nor do they really add to the movie. I mean, I I is they're a nice little comic relief. That whole scene might have been a bit long for my taste, but you know, a lot of people are they got that Ewok, Ewok hate, and I think they're they should check their hearts because they got some sort of some sort of fuzzy prejudice. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Are you talking about the scene when they're in the the tree fort villages or uh... yeah? Where like they're all being bound upside down or whatever. Yeah, I think I think that scene, that whole part of Return of the Jedi, is what binds a lot of people from being able to enjoy Return of the Jedi as much as Empire Strikes Back. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I think you know Empire is the one." And I was just I didn't realize why. I mean, it is a great movie, but. Someone was just telling me recently, like, yeah, it's the Ewoks. I just can't can't deal with the Ewoks. I'm like, really? Really? Yeah. Can't get past a little cheese in this otherwise also still pretty cheesy movie? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. I, I love Star Wars, but so there's, there's, there's gobs of cheese to be had. Anyway. We'll, we'll eat it up. Yeah, exactly. Some, some good, nice sharp cheddar, maybe a little Gouda. Definitely. So are you, uh, do you have any... Siblings? No, only, only child. child. Okay. Only child. Yeah. Nice. So, did your parents play music? Uh, my dad does. Yeah, he's a he's a guitar player. So, he got me interested in music. He he was very purposeful in like teaching me about. It. He never he never went like high concept. We didn't dive into theory or anything. But I remember even as a very young child, he would purposefully play me all different kinds of music, and he would. As he's as he's doing it, he would be like, "Okay, so there's this little line right here. Da, 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 da. What instrument's playing that?" And I would have to, I would have to tell him like, "Oh, that's a guitar, or that's a that's a violin." Like like I would have to. Tell him. Then he'd be like, "Okay, what's what's the bass doing? What's what's this guy doing with his snare drum? Like all all these questions about what was happening in the song." So he started developing my ear when I was little, and uh, yeah, you know. He was into lots, lots of like, he dug Santana, I guess, slash digs Santana, he still digs him. Um, Santana and a, and a bunch of like 
those kind of cats, really into Journey, Neil Sean's guitar playing, and also the really guitar-y music like Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, that that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, he's a guitar player, so that kind of tripped his trigger. So I was introduced to instrumental prog when I was young, and he actually I remember he taught me how to count music. He's like, all right, so you, you, like this is how you count a bar: one and two and three and four and. And then he, after I understood it and I was able to count. So he would have me count different songs. He's like, give me the count here. And he goes, all right, this song is by a band called Los Lobotomies. It's called Party in Simon's Pants. And it's in 17. I'm like, it's in 17? What? I was like, come on. That is so cool. Like you can make stuff that's in like crazy time signatures. That that got me uh, interested in technical music very young, you know. Yeah, I bet. Jeez. So when did you uh, pick up the sticks? I think I s grabbed them for the first time and really was like, yeah, this is it. Around nine, there was a worship event at my church. You know, a, a big, they had a big, put on a big concert. And the drummer, whose name is Donna Jamian, he's out there rocking it. He's a great, great player, fantastic groove, awesome feel. I was backstage, which I was a lot, but I went and just grabbed a pair of his sticks from the stick bag backstage, and I just started beating on the, the ground and beating on the walls, and I'm just having a blast. That is the moment that I would identify as when I was like, yeah. I want to be a drummer. I want I want to drum. And so I told my parents and they got me some sticks, got me a pad, and they a friend of ours, my dad's a, a business partner at the time actually, a guy named Rob Chapman, he 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 loaned me his one of his snare drums. He was a drummer as well. And just like you can you can learn everything on just this. This is enough. I'm like, okay, I don't really understand what that means. The snare drum's really loud by itself, and I'll beat on it, whatever, and I beat on the pad, and I beat on the snare, and whatever, and they put me in lessons within a couple months of that, which I was scared to do, but I'm, I'm so grateful that they they pushed me into that, because that, that first drum lesson that I had with this guy named Steve Joseph, a guy from Wales, who still lives in, in my hometown in Reading. I remember at the end of the lesson, he asked me a question that ultimately changed my life. And that was, okay, what, so what do you want out of these lessons? And I, I thought about it and I said, well, I, I want to be a drummer. And he said, okay, now you are. Now what? Like, oh, there's not a level that you get to where you become, quote, a drummer. It's just a state of mind. You're, when you choose to be a drummer, you're a drummer. And now it's just about how good of a drummer do I want to be? And that, for me, in that moment, opened that up for me. I'm like, oh, there's not a stopping point where now you're a drummer and now you don't have to think about it. I'm like, no, I want to be, I want to be a really, really good drummer. I want to be as good as I possibly can. Yeah. yeah. So that was my, that was really what got me going. Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I had been asked that when I started playing drums. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. That's a mind-boggling thing at a young age to ponder. Yeah. What? Uh, why did you said you were afraid or didn't want to take lessons? Well, why are you opposed to it? I think part of it is the only child thing, and a little bit of being socially awkward, being nervous with people. I, and I am. I'm nervous with new people. I Going into a situation that I'm totally unfamiliar freaks me out. And I've learned to lean into that a little more. I still need to do it better. Honestly, it just, it just scared me. The idea of, I'm going to go to this thing. And, you know, what if I am like, I don't know, my, my brain creates all these negative scenarios. What if I'm like a disappointment to this person? I can't even figure out what they're trying to tell me. I'm, I'm like, I'm inferior. My brain can't handle the thing they're, they're trying to pass to me. And it turns out I can't be good at this thing. And, and I'm just an embarrassment. 
my, my brain spirals into that kind of negativity pretty easily. So I have to, I have to bite back hard against that and just say, no, I'm going to do that. And thank, thank God my, <laughs> my mom made me do a variety of things that I hated various sports. And like, that was, that was just not, it was just not for me for the most part. I, I liked soccer. And I, I liked martial arts. We did, did a lot of that. That was fun. I th- if, if I had to take a guess, I would probably say with my mom, like, no, you really, you really need to get in there and like, go, go do that. Because she, she was always the one pushing me to get into those uncomfortable situations. And I'm, I'm sure I expressed my fear at that. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I, what if I can't do it? She's like, no, you're, you're going, you're going to do it. You're going to try it at least. You don't have to stick with it, but you're gonna try it. You're gonna do. You're gonna do at least a month, one lesson a week. Oh yeah, that was great. You told me your dad played guitar, and that's kind of how you learned, or whatever. But what artists and musicians were your heroes? Like bad. You're like that guy or that person's a badass. I want to be like them. Oh man. Okay. <sighs> Let's see. I'm gonna try to go kind of through semi chronologically through like my youth of like who really stuck out to me. I would say early on, John Bonham probably became my earliest major influence. Loved, loved Bonham, loved Zeppelin. I got really into Steely Dan. Once I, once I discovered them, I was just like, oh, this is, this is so cool. I just remember I was watching some like PBS live thing and it had that they're playing black friday i was like oh this is cool i like this music what is this is steely dan all right I'm like oh the guy's singing kind of looks like a rat i'm into it sorry donald if you're if you're listening but i'm sure you know you look kind of like a rat <laughs> but yeah I, I, I loved all that stuff um but i got into like the the fusion thing early on you know just with my dad listening to stuff like steve Vai and and satch there's a lot of technical music to be had. And I, I got that early immature instrumentalist thing where it's like, oh, if it's not technical, it's not good. Like, oh, you know, well, well, you guys like good Charlotte, but good Charlotte's not even very good at their instruments. So they suck. Like I was, I got into that total dweeby, pretentious, immature musician thing. But I, I did love, I loved all that kind of, like, early, early journey. The first three albums, I don't know if you, a lot of people aren't aware of this. You might not be aware of this. The first three Journey albums, there's no Steve Perry. And they were, they were a full-blown prog fusion band. Like, shredding solos and odd time signatures and crazy arrangements and, like, metric modulation and all all of that stuff their their first three albums they're it's nuts and the drummer's name is Ainsley Dunbar to this day probably maybe my maybe my biggest influence just because of how formative it was for me real when i realized like Ainsley was on a song called I'm, I'm going to leave you he's playing a he's playing a shuffle his right hand on the ride cymbal and he starts playing fills with his left hand across the kit i was like He's not breaking the shuffle. He, this, the shuffle is still going. And, the, and he's doing fills between his left hand and his right foot. This guy's crazy. And then from there, I kind of I dove into the extreme independence thing. People like Marco Miniman and Virgil Donati. Praise the Lord. I actually, as you know, I ended up teching for Virg on a, on a tour, which was awesome. A great experience to be around that guy and find out that it's always great to find out that your heroes are cool people because there are so many scenarios where that's not the case. You're like, oh, this guy's awesome. And you're like, ah, this guy's a dickhead. And Virgil is not. Virgil is a super cool dude. He's a great guy. All, all that kind of stuff. I got into play, players like Ron Bruner and Mason Guidry, Mike Mitchell, cats that just have like insane facility on the drums. Just, just can kind of do anything, accomplish anything physically. I, lo- I love that. It's a, Mike, Mike calls it being really sporty, a sporty drummer. I'll, that, that always trips my trigger. There's all, obviously there's, there's a, you can't just listen to that for an hour straight. It's like, 
you know, because it doesn't tug on your heartstrings. But yeah, I, I, you know, that was, that was kind of my, the order that I went in and then I got into like the more, more dancey stuff and like pop bass thing, things that make you want to move. And I, I kind of ended up coming to the conclusion that basically three categories of music that trips my trigger. And it's, is it danceable? One. Does it tug on your heartstrings? Two. And is it interesting or challenging? Three. And some music has, most music has one of the three. If you can, if you can get two out of three, you're doing really well. And if you can get three out of three, you're knocking it out of the park. And there are very few groups doing all three, but that's, that's what I'm into. Or which bands or whoever would you say has all three? Straight off the bat, man, who, who would I, who would I say has all three? I, I, you know what? Here's an example of all three in an album. Grace by Jeff Buckley. That album has incredible technical proficiency and interesting ideas. It makes you want to move. And if that album at some point doesn't just rip your heart out, then I don't know who you are. That's a, that's a great example right there. Then Snarky Puppy would be like, I mean, their, their tagline used to be music for the brain and booty. So it's like, it's really, it's really interesting and it makes you want to move. And occasionally they'll tug on the heartstrings too, but mostly it's, mostly it's the brain and the booty. Oh yeah. Yeah. The brain and the booty. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? I love that. I'm going to remember that. That's awesome. You lived in Reading for how long before you moved to Nashville? 28 years. Okay. So you moved here when you were 28 mm -hmm. in Nashville. Yeah. How long goes that? Four years. What made you uh, decide to move to Nashville? Well, I had been in a band that, it's funny because, you know, every, everyone has been in a band that was, air quotes, gonna make it, man. My band was gonna make it. But really, I mean, I had this group. We had great tunes, great players, a great crew of, of, of guys that I believed fully respected and understood each other. And we had all the financial backing and network needs that were that you could want we had a a guy managing us who is a f a former record executive from from here from nashville and he he told us with no uncertainty early on that and this was this was absolutely true this was not like hyperbole on his part he was like if i i can make a phone call and because I'm in the inner circle of these people, I, I can do more in one phone call than than really you can do in in three years of doing footwork, and that was that was a fact, and he he proved that quite over and over. But ba bottom line, one of the members of the band made a made a decision that cost us that relationship, and that that was unfortunate because I really really loved those dudes and I loved that music. But essentially, the chief songwriter in the band and myself both just decided, well, why not still move to Nashville since this guy's connections are all out here. And that, that was really it. He moved out here and then him and his, his family, his wife and their three kids. And then my wife and I followed suit a little over two months later. We, we had said, like, if you, you guys go, we're, we're going. And I think because a couple other members in the group kind of said they're, they'd go and it just didn't end up happening. I think they kind of felt like, well, we'll see. You'll see if you, as you know, put kind of put your money where your mouth is. And we're like, no, we're, we're going. We said we're going. We're, we're going. So we came out here sight unseen. Like didn't, didn't take a trip to visit. We're just like, we're, we found an apartment online and we went into it. <laughs> Saw it for the first time when we arrived in Nashville. That's awesome. Yeah, it was scary as hell. I bet. Yeah, coming all the way from California. Yeah, driving with with everything that we owned in the world in in a truck. Like it's a, well, and and I drove the moving truck towing my wife's car, and she drove my car. So we weren't even in the same vehicle for the entire trip. We're like run little radios talking to each other interrupt accidentally interrupting each other wait what did you did you say something yes i said i need to pee oh okay well okay <laughs> <laughs>
Me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. How many times have you moved around outside of Nashville? Like, mm, is it three times now? Or four? Well, four. Yeah. Oh, now you're in West Nashville. Mm-hmm. Nice. Where's been like your favorite place to play here? Man, um, I have really enjoyed, really enjoyed a couple different spots for different reasons. I loved, loved playing five spot. That was like doing Sunday night soul, doing that stuff. That's been some of my favorite times. Rudy's, Rudy's is a blast. And I played, played Rudy's with some of the same crew that I played, played five spot with. As far as, as far as cover gigs go, as far as like the Broadway thing, I really I love playing Kid Rocks. Really? Yeah. Funny enough, I've, I've I avoided Broadway like the plague when I first moved here. Like, no, I don't have any interest in doing that. But some of my friends have put together a pretty strong group, and they're doing so well out there that kind of their innovation. Is a, it seems like it's affecting the rest of Broadway because every time I talk to somebody about, oh my friends play over Broadway. Oh what bands? Uh, oh, it's Taylor Martin band. My my buddy Seth Carlson plays guitar. Oh my god, that guy's incredible. That band is so good. They played Bohemian Rhapsody. You never hear that. It's insane. I'm like yeah, they're they're really really good. Um, but I th- I think that kind of I think the attitude of Broadway musicians is changing a little bit rather than like. It being some of the lowest common denominator, like, well, we just want to play songs, kind of just, you, we don't even need to rehearse, we just learn the songs as they are on the record, and then we'll just, you know, play them. Like, now bands are like, well, okay, yeah, that's the bass line. That's, that's, that's the least amount of work. And then we'll, let's rehearse original ways of putting these songs together. Or that's, those bands are starting to rise to the top. It's always, you know, cream always rises. Dad told me that a million times. Kareem always rises. He was right. Damn. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Because I remember when I first moved here, I was like, oh, Broadway, no. But now that I hear stories, like they're changing how the music's played, and yeah. not everyone has to play Freebird every time someone. Well, or and, you just change that up. Well, and, and here's the great thing about Freebird it's a $100 song. Oh, wow. So, so that's, and that's part of, that's part of the thing. You say like, oh, someone says Freebird. And you're like, ha ha. Like, that's great. We'd love to play Freebird. It'll be a hundred dollars and it doesn't have to come from one person. It can be five bucks from you, 10 from you, like point, point around the room, blah, blah, blah. You get us a hundred bucks. We will play Freebird and we'll rip your damn face off with it. And that's what they do in that, in that group. They're like, yeah, we'll do that. So they, they, it's a Bohemian Rhapsody, Freebird. And Wagon Wheel are all hundred dollar songs. Oh god, yeah. yeah. Imagine Wagon Wheel. Oh god. I will tell I will tell you this. Sometimes people just pay because they can. They'll just they'll just toss it out. I had one guy pay five hundred dollars for Rocky Top. He just and we would have played it for twenty, but Rocky Top, five hundred bucks. Just threw it down right there. Wow. That was a that was a good night. And your little job job. Yeah. And then you split that between five people. Or yep. Like, nice. Yeah, and you get to play in for massive crowds. Yeah, when when massive crowds are available. Yeah. Right now it's yeah. What is that like? Uh, maximum capacity is wh- however many people they can seat, and that, like so no no one is allowed to stand and dance. If you're standing and dancing, you're gonna get either asked to sit back down or get out. Oh wow. So okay. yeah, they're they're good about that. So it's how many people they can see. Because I'm like, yeah, I haven't been on Broadway in over a year. Yeah. But still, still, the people who are going out are, I think you're getting a higher percentage of the, of those who would be tipping anyway, because the tips are still pretty good. Hmm. There's still, it's still at like maybe two thirds, two thirds of what was being made. And yet we're, it's not even at half capacity. You know, it's like a quarter of what it, what it used to be. So those who have put themselves through it enough to go, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go out and and have a good time. They're kind of like, We're, we are the diamonds. Pressure and heat has made us strong, and we will tip well. <laughs> Man, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. 
Maybe I'll play on Broadway one day. Yeah, man. Just get yourself a, you know, go go through the list of uh, of a of a place of the songs that you would like. Like I I like Kid Rock's because I'm more Just rock and in, roll. Yeah, more of that you know, rock and roll stuff, and that that's that's more fun for me than playing at I don't know Redneck Riviera or something where you have to play a bunch of pop country stuff and like that I would blow my brains out if yeah, I had to do no, that every night. Yeah, no, I know. No, I like that roll. Yeah. Rock and roll stuff. So, like, when you moved to Nashville, now that you've been here, would you say it's been everything you've thought, or hmm. what have you learned? I mean, it's, it's, in a way, it's everything I thought and more, and yet it's also, it's, it's infinitely different than, than I imagined it being. The South is as friendly as I had heard it can be. You know, there there are a lot of... It's, it's funny because being from California, there there's a kind of perception of the of the South that I think is just it's just straight up wrong. They have they, they I don't I think they kind of think of Southerners as being backwards and primitive, kind of, kind of just morons who are like, oh yeah but oh you know you go to the South and everybody's racist and stupid and like that's just utterly just nonsense. That's just nonsense. I personally and I don't want to go too much into it but I'm like I know more people from California I ran into more people out there who I felt like had some sort of racism or prejudice than I ever have out here it's not even not even close but I would say the the friendliness of people out here alone makes it worth the journey like I got here Pulled into, at the end of that trip, I pulled into what I thought was our apartment complex. Come to find out it wasn't the right one. I'm in the moving truck. I've got, again, I'm towing her car. I can't turn it around in there at all. It took us over an hour to get out of that parking lot. And then we pull up into what was the correct parking lot for our actual apartment building. And I realized the same exact thing is going to happen in there even though it's the right place. I'm still like, oh, I can't turn it around in here. Seth, my, my friend, my mentor, he's there. He's, he's watching me struggle with this. My brand new neighbor who doesn't know me at all, he's up on his stoop smoking a cig. He puts it out, walks down, and he goes, you want me to turn it around for you? You do that? Sure would. Seth goes, Travis is a third generation mover. He knows what he's doing. I'm like, the cockpit is yours, mover man. You got it. He moves it, the very next thing, I'm sure this isn't the next thing he actually said to me, but the next thing I remember him saying to me is, y'all got somewhere to be for Thanksgiving? No. Well, you just come on over to my place. Don't be bashful, you're in Nashville. I was like, you are kidding me. The South is awesome, this is the best. And I learned something, it's, it's Nashville. I'm like, wait, what about, what about Louisville? It's Louisville. Oh, well that's really upsetting. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, dude, the, I, I would say, musically speaking, if we're going into just, just that, I would also say it's been what I imagined and more. Uh, I think I got here at a great time because the the scene for music that I'm interested in, which is kind of music outside of the CCM, you know, Christian stuff, and pop country, all of all of the things outside of that circle, which is a massive circle, that stuff started to pop off. Prog rock, math rock, funk, jazz, whatever, electro pop, all everything outside of that little that massive circle of the traditional Nashville thing. Oh, you're moving to Nashville? Oh, so you I didn't know you were into country music. I'm not. I'm not. And I don't have to be. I can play other things. I can do I've I've done a plethora of sessions out here that have jack shit to do with pop country or CCM. Like, they're like a cool little like punk rock stuff and like, you know, police influenced 80s, 80s pop punk. And, uh, you know, just all everything, you, everything you can think of. It's out here. Reggae. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. That's why I love salsa bands. Yeah, East Nashville, dude. Yep, it's always it's a conglomerate of the weird and the indie and the unknown. Yeah, kind of the UFOs are out here. Yeah, I know. I need to spend more time in East. 
what, when thing, once things are open again, I need to, I need to develop my haunts. Cause that's one thing I learned was I had a, a drummer who was younger than me, who, but who was moving away. And he had been, he had a pretty decent career out here and he, he introduced me to a bunch of people at his going away party. And then it was at, it was at a bar. It was like crying wolf. And he like put his arm around me at the end of the night, like, like gave me the come here young man thing. <laughs> Even though, like, again, he's, like, six years younger than me. Like, yeah, you know all these badasses that I introduced you to tonight? Yeah. Yeah, I met most of them here. Uh, he goes, yeah, you get it. You gotta start going out, man. And that's my, my weakness is, again, the, it's the social anxiety thing that I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, for me, realizing that I have to actually be in a scene to be in a scene. I have to, I have to physically go... Right. to a place to be considered for w- such and such gig. Like that's, that was hard for me to understand both being, you know, an only child with some social anxiety stuff and also having grown up in a town in which that, ne- that kind of networking was just literally purposeless. Like there's no, there's no reason to network in Reading. There's not, nobody's doing anything. Really? How yeah. big is it? I think it's, it might be as much as 100,000 people now, but it's not, I mean, it's not a music gigging town, and, you know, I wanted to be a gigging musician, so. I could have, I could have tried to play drums for Bethel, but I didn't have any interest in that whatsoever. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Awesome. Since you were the drum tech for Virgil, what are are some things that you learned from that? Because I can only imagine... (laughs) I learned I learned uh, quite a quite a lot. First Vir- of all, Virgil Donati for everyone is an amazing Australian drummer, right? Mm-hmm. Super yep. prog. Yep. Technical has all the facility in the world. I would I would argue that Virgil is the most. He can do his stats. If, if you look, if you were looking at him like a video game character, he can just do more things than other humans can do. He can just, you know, every, every limb, a different time signature. If you like, you could just, whatever, name him off and he would just be able to blast him out. And he, he's just incredible. What did I learn from Verge? Well, I, I learned, first of all, how well that dude takes care of himself. Oh, really? His, you know, he, he's, he's 62 now. Is he 62? He definitely doesn't look it. I know, right? Yeah, he's he, like, oh, he's probably in, maybe in his 40s, 40s maybe 50s. Yeah. Like he's, he's 62. And, you know, he's he's still buff. He still works out all the time. And he's he has his, like, routines. He's like, okay, we'll get, we'll get a coffee in the morning, and he'll do his thing. And then after, as he's finishing his coffee, he grabs... He opens up his bag of goodies and like out from out from the bag he'll bring out his cacao powder. And like, All right, time time to do the cacao. It's a the world's strongest natural antioxidant. And just pound some cacao, and he's got all his vitamins and and various salves. He's got eucalyptus oil for any time he got bit by bugs. I'm just all those kind of things. He he was prepped and ready for that, and that that was I learned like oh well, if you really want to have that kind of ability and last, I mean, be in the condition that he's in, in his sixties, then you absolutely must not only, you know, be exercising, which is kind of like, come on people. That's obvious at this point. You need your exercise. You live longer. (laughs) You just will. That's it. But you also need to be proactive in your nutrition and, and taking care of your taking care of your body by putting good things into it, which is incredibly difficult on the road. Even if you're going, to, if you're, you're stopping at Whole Foods and doing that, that's still like you should bring bring stuff along with you from home. That's that's gonna supplement your your nutrition and make your life better. That's a big thing I learned. I learned as far as the the technical stuff, all all the counting stuff. I would be like, hey, Verge. What, what is it that you're doing? How did you get to the point where you can just kind of phrase in whatever subdivision freely and you, and you never, ever get lost. Always, always that dude is going to 
nailed a one every time. Just, just his sense of time is probably the best on earth. And he's like, well, it's, it really is just, it's, it's whatever one says. You just count. It's like, I, I go, I've gone through each of these phrases. Essentially he's gone through every possibility. And he's like, okay, I, I know how many times it, it has to be played for me to come back around to the one. Like, if I'm going to play this thing through over the bar line, it'll come back around here. He's like, I know. So I know if I start a phrase wherever, I'm always, I always know where I am. I can't, essentially, you can't get lost. When I asked him that question, he's like, yeah, that's so funny. Chris Coleman asked me the same thing. Like, man, Chris Coleman's like another one of those dudes who is just impossible to be like, oh, can you get lost? Is it, could I, if I spun you around really fast? And like blindfolded you, slapped you in the mouth, and set your legs on fire. Would you <laughs> would you still know where one is? He's like, definitely. I'd know. I'd know. But yeah, if if even Chris Coleman is asking Virgil Donati that, then then you know he's he can get out there and still just come right back down to earth. Is that dynamite? Yeah, exactly. Dynamite, dynamite. If you guys have never seen Black Dynamite, you're doing yourself a disservice. Get on it. Yeah, I need to see that. Oh man, it's so hilarious. Who the hell is interrupting my kung fu? Oh, <laughs> I've seen parts of it, dude. There are. I'm such a giant fan of that movie. I, I <laughs> what is it called again? Black Black Diamond. Black Diamond. I gotta watch that. Uh, it's it's incredible. Michael Jai White is freaking hilarious, and he's a real life badass. Damn, that is hilarious. What is one absurd thing you love to do? Oh, one absurd... Oh, oh God. <laughs> I'm trying to think of things that aren't illegal. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I have... I actually have a Christmas tradition, which I... I man, I shouldn't even go into that. No. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. I'll give you another one. For those of you who are listening this far, we become good, really good friends... I'll tell you about my Christmas tradition. Otherwise, this, this is not, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, I love, so I, I work part-time at Daddy's Dogs. And that's a hot dog place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are the hot dog place. We won best hot dog in Nashville for the last where, two years. Where is that again? Uh, 51st and Centennial in the nation's West Nash. I also got a pop-up uh, window in Printer's Alley. We do, we do, um, Carts all over. We'll do a cart in Midtown or on Demumbrian. I like this. Is I'm just giving an example. I, so obviously, the way you want to answer the phone is this is t- this is so un- unprofessional. I'm guessing my bosses won't be hearing this. So and if they do, whatever. But you want to answer the phone, Daddy's dogs, nations. But I just answer the phone, hot dog. And I'll just leave it there, and I will hear the confusion <laughs> in the silence as pe- as people process. He said, "Hot dog." That's not the name of the place I'm calling, but the place I'm calling does serve hot dogs, and that's what I want. I was calling to get a hot dog, and they'll pause, and then they'll be. Uh, uh, can, uh, can I get an order for pickup? Yeah, sure. And then after that, I'm very helpful, but I just leave, give them give them hot dog. That's that is my sense of humor. Just like throw in a little bit of absurdist, like surreal, whatever in into a otherwise regular interaction, so that people are like, I still think I know what's going on, but I have no idea why whatever just happened just happened. Right, dude, I love that. I experimented. I had little social experiments when I was a barista. I would write, make little signs that said, look over there. And when they look over there, there was nothing there. <laughs> at, at, at Red Bike? Yeah. <laughs> and then they'd be, what's up with the sign? I'm like, no, that, that, that's it. Oh, man. You looked over there, and that's all that was there. Or I'd have this one sign that said, pet the plant for one dollar. <laughs> and people would like, what kind of plant is this? And then be like, wow. And then they'd pet him, but hey, it's a dollar. And they're like, oh, okay. And they'd put the tip in the jar or whatever. And then one, one guy goes, is it really a dollar to pet the plant? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm not doing it. And I was like, 
You don't have to. Man. You, don't, you don't have to. You're not even supposed to pet plants, man. <laughs> I'm not doing it. So why am I gonna do it? <laughs> he walks away. And I was like, wait, all right, man. I had this one sign that's Is it really a dollar for me to do a handstand in the middle of your business? Yes. yes. Well, I'm not going to do it. You weren't going to do it anyway, man. <laughs> I know. You weren't, gonna, you weren't even thinking about it until I brought it up. That tells you how hypnotizable people are. Seriously. Right. That's, it's, actually, it's actually scary to think about. You're like, you're now upset at me for you not being able to do something without paying me that you never would have even considered doing if I hadn't brought it up. That's insane. That's insane. People are crazy. Just putting subliminal messages into people's heads. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I remember one one more sign story. I had one sign next to the register that said, "Why did the monkey die?" Or no, no. Why sorry. did the monkey fall out of the tree? Yeah. Why did the yeah, monkey yeah, fall yeah. out of the tree? That. And then I and then like, why did the monkey fall out of the tree? And I was like, he was dead. So this one guy goes, "That's not funny. That's just dark." And I'm like, "Welcome to my sense of humor." Yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, I, okay, so I, I used to do this joke all the time whenever there would be a down moment at a concert, which I loved doing because we, we did mostly pop country covers, um, and we would just like go crazy the whole time. It was, like a really, it was hilarious, like shreddy over pop country stuff. It was a band called Cattle Rocket. You guys can look us up if you want. But whenever we'd have some sort of technical difficulty, oh, uh, stall for a minute. I would just get up, grab a microphone, and telling this joke to people who are like only half there mentally, and then they're also drunk, was so satisfying. I'd say, Grasshopper walks into a bar. Bartender says, hey, we've got a drink named after you. Grasshopper says, you've got a drink named Doug? And then I'd just walk back to the kit and I would pretend I'd never got up. People would just stare at me confusedly. And it was very satisfying. And then you, yeah, you got them off of what they were thinking about negatively. And people, I, I remember a lot of times people would go, what? And we, oh, we also used to do this thing. We would be doing Don't Stop Believing. And at the, at the end, we would dun 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 ba 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 And then... The singer would go go into chicken, a chicken voice version of it. They would, and then the bassist, and I would get up on top of my throne, stand up, grab my mic, go into a full-on chicken Steve Perry, and we would do that, and then jump back down and go back and finish the song, and we would lose. 98% of the people, 98% of the people would just be like, what the fuck was that? But then we would have like one or two people come up to us after the show and be like, that was the funniest thing I have ever seen. I have no idea why you did that. You guys are awesome. I'm like, we did it for you. We did it ex- for, because we knew that we would make, no one remembers a cover band. But some, but when you do something like that, they remember you forever. Remember that band that did the chicken version of Don't Stop Believing for no reason? Yeah, I will never forget that band. And that's why you do it. Hell yeah. That's how often do you, are you able to get away with doing that song? Doing oh, we, did, we did it every show. Oh, really? We did it every single show. Now, you know, I'd lo- I would, if only the guitarist would move out here to Nashville, I would start doing that out on Broadway. When was the last time you played on Broadway? Do you, uh, well, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, right, well, actually right before the snow. Oh. The, the, actually, the night of the snow. Yeah, I, 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 I played, a, played a Kid Rock's stint. Sick. Yeah. How often do you play there? I'm trying to play there more and more, but I, you know, a couple times a month, I, I would really like to be, I would personally like to do that kind of as as my my gig for now because it's just it, it it pays better than pays better than my job yeah and i'd rather be playing drums right and as again as long as i'm playing kid rocks i'm i'm able to play tunes that i'm like i actually dig this oh we can play you know stone temple pilots 
we play Rage Against the Machine, a bunch a bunch of '90s rock, '80s rock, and like you know whatever early 2000s stuff, stuff that I actually enjoyed listening to. And I'm like, okay, great. That's I'm I'm for that. Like I would, so I'd love to I'd love to be doing that weekly. So hopefully in the next in the next month I'll be able to start doing more of that. That's that's my desire. Okay, awesome. All right, well, as we kind of wrap things up here, is there anything else you want to add or tell everyone in the community? Hmm. Anything I'd want to tell anyone in the community? You mean just in life or about myself? Or like Just your two cents of... Or here's one. What, what advice would you give to a musician either moving here or already here? Hmm. My advice would be make a plan. Don't just go blindly into it. If your if your plan is to go full bore into networking, you're like I'm going to save up money and then I'm going to go do I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to network and, and I'm going to do nonstop that until until I land a gig. Cool. Great. That that's a that's a plan and awesome. If your plan is I'm going to get a job right away and I'm going to do music in the meantime, that's also good. Just, if you're trying to do music, make sure that you have some sort of financial plan, because you're, you're gonna get screwed if you, you, know, you get down to the wire and you're like, well, uh, I guess I might be living in my car because I haven't landed anything yet, and I, I didn't really plan ahead, and that's scary. You're like, okay, well, how am I, how am I gonna survive? You, you don't wanna have that question. Personally, I wish, I wish that I would have done two things differently when I got here. One, I wish I would have immediately searched for a regular job, and I wish that I would have gone hard into going out when I wasn't working and, and networking, forcing myself into that. So do that. Make sure, you, make sure you're not going to starve. Make sure your finances are taken care of, and go out. Find the spots that are playing music that you like and or or in the area at least in the vicinity of those things and be be a part of that community that's my advice do that and you'll you'll do great and you know it's helpful to be really good at your craft whatever that is and of course don't be a dick yeah it's number one don't be a dick yep all right awesome well how can people talk to you and reach you or watch what you do or what are your handles or if you want to find me on Instagram at Nathan under underscore Sletner S L E T N E R. Yeah, that's, that's me. I, I get every kind of misspelling one could possibly imagine. Slutner. Oh yeah. Slutner is that's, that is the purposeful <laughs> misspelling, right. but I get, I get Slenter, uh, Slater, I, I say my name and then people, okay, Mr. Slenter. I'm like, did I say Slenter? Do you think that I Slenter. misspoke my last name? Slenter. <laughs> I'm like, how about one, listen to me when I'm saying my name, and two, learn to sound word out words out when you're reading them. Hmm, the T comes before the N. It would be a T N Slatener. Okay, Mr. Slater. Son of a bitch! <laughs> I actually got Sleuth. Sleuth! Wow. From the DMV! Wow. Yeah. Mr. Sleuth. Yeah. Well, Imagine that, a government entity that's incapable of doing things well. I've never heard of that. <clears throat> Bureaucratic nightmare. Yep. <laughs> Do you have any like special things coming out or any... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I have... I'm working on multiple, multiple projects right now. I've got... An album coming out with a, my band Fly Information, which I'm very excited about. We just got all the final mixes and it sounds phenomenal. It's kind of for people who like uh, Pliny, maybe maybe a little twinge of some of some video game goodness in there. Pl Pliny in intervals with like a, a video game twist. There's there's like a there's a a moment in one of the songs that actually was uh, programmed 
by hand to sound exactly like uh, the, the mushroom sound from Mario. So you, you get hit by hit by the mushroom, you grow, and then it goes immediately into a really heavy section, which is very satisfying. We got that. Working on some stuff with a guy named Tabor Mullins, who is a, a beast, and he lives in Cincinnati. And that's gonna that's gonna be like that dude. That guy's a freaking genius, and he's he's somewhere between like Tigran Hamasian and Chan. I don't know. He's Tabor is the future, and got some stuff in the works also with a guitarist here in town named Tony Campanovo, and uh, another guy named Jesse Brock. We're doing we're doing some proggy goodness on on both accounts, and I've I've got a group, a couple groups I play with. I play with Coco O'Connor doing some Americana folk stuff, which I really love. I love everyone in that band, and we've actually actually put an album out last year, which I'm I'm. I'm very proud of what we did, and I'm also working with a band called Suitcase Souls. And the, the album album just came out. I'm not on that album, but they did just put out an album, and I am I am now I'm the now drummer, not, not the then drummer. I'm the, I'm the now drummer. I've been that before. Yeah, so any of those groups, actually, I'm playing at Suitcase Souls. Uh, this will, this won't be out by then, but I'm playing playing with them this week. Okay. But you guys don't need to know that because no. this won't be out by that time. Great having you on the, on the podcast. Dude, thanks for having me over. Yeah.